Okay, so so we're going to start, and uh, I think we should start by Martin Sensei, you introducing yourself and why you are qualified to answer the questions that I'm going to about to ask you. Right. Well, the first of all, it's uh, it's Dr. Lindley Sensei. <laughs> I've got a PhD Pretty in exercise physiology. Uh, I got an undergraduate in sports science. I got a master's in sports science, and then a PhD in exercise physiology. And I've actually worked as an applied sports scientist uh, with a variety of different sports, but uh, most with the Welsh hockey squads. So I've taken international athletes up to multiple Commonwealth Games, World Cups, European Championships, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I currently work in Loughborough University, which is the QS Global Rank number one sports science institute. <laughs> uh, so I'm surrounded by sports science. I work as a sports scientist. Cool. And I'm qualified because I can read and speak, <laughs> but not at the same time. So, um, yeah, one by one. One by one. So we're gonna. So, so the idea of this is that we're gonna gonna uh, hopefully have kind of uh, scientific answers to the stuff that we actually do in karate, and you are uniquely qualified to answer my unique questions. So shall we start? There we go. But they're not. We'll very... give that a go. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, let's let's start with. Uh, uh, is punching power like Mike Tyson and Conor McGregor and uh, uh, was it uh, Deontay Wilder? Purely Deontay Wilder. Yeah, purely genetic, or can it be trained? Uh, the simple, quick answer is yes, it can be trained. Anybody can learn how to hit harder. Uh, those individuals mentioned are people who train specifically to hit hard. They may have a natural coordination, a natural timing, a natural muscular strength, and then they've maximized their potential. Mm. Uh, however, if you take any individual, you can train them to hit harder. And if all you want to do is hit hard, you can learn how to hit very hard indeed. So, okay, but like, so hitting hard is just obviously the, the bigger you are and the faster you can move is... Is that the only two factors that is hitting hard? No, there's there's a there's a coordination yeah. effect. So you can have a very large mass, but if it is not uh, stabilized correctly and if it's not uh, hitting the correct point at the correct time, hmm. the mass will do damage, but it won't do anywhere near as much damage as it could have done. If, if, so there's there's multiple factors yeah. involved, and they all have to come together at the same time uh -huh. for them to work. What do you mean by because like obviously there's there's mass and then there's effective mass right so you could be really big but if you're not kind of transferring all that mass into your punch then it's not effective right that, am i right in thinking that yeah and the, the, that's a coordination effect so uh if you're in a stance you're a big guy you're in a front stance and you're punching you punch with your arms and your shoulders and you don't engage the hip rotation mm -hmm. then you're not going to be able to use any mass other than your arm yeah. Now, it may be that your arm is a big enough mass that you can do lots of damage, but if you can learn to use your body, the whole mass, then you'll get uh, bigger impacts. Now, in order to use that whole body, you have to coordinate. There's a, a neuromuscular coordination, but there's also a skeletal positioning uh -huh. as well. Okay, so tell, uh, me, tell me about the, the neuromuscular coordination first. What does that mean? Well, you, 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 you have... You have 
take your arm for instance you've got agonists and antagonists you've got muscles that will create a movement and muscles that are acting the opposite direction yeah. you have to be able to relax one muscle and contract the other uh-huh. in order for the, the the body to move freely but you need uh, your ancillary muscles your supporting muscles to be relaxed while the body is moving uh-huh. but you need them to be contracted at a point of impact so they stabilize the joint okay so, so, so like, say, like of, if, if you're if you if you're going to punch somebody, like you're saying, yeah. you're, you're having to like use obviously your tricep to kind of straighten your arm, but on the mm-hmm. point of impact, you've got to engage your bicep as well in order to stabilize the. Is that what you mean? Yeah, you yeah, you've got your elbow joint and your uh, shoulder joint, and you've got your bicep and tricep both working that area of the body. Yeah. you need that joint to be aligned correctly, so that it doesn't dislocate. You you, okay. you can hit your. Well, you, you, as, as you can probably tell from my right arm, you can do yourself lots of damage yeah. if your body is not correctly lined up, if it's not contracting at the, the right times at the right places. Mm. Okay. I mean, for, I mean, if you're, for instance, you mentioned the bicep contracting to straighten the arm. If you're actually whipping your arm out in a relaxed state, you mm. probably won't be contracting your tricep. Okay. You'll co-contract your bicep and your tricep later on in the movement to stabilize the arm, mm-hmm. but you'll probably have a relaxed tricep because your body, your arm's being thrown forward ah. by the movement of your body and the rotation. Okay. Cool. Okay, we might come on to that again later. But uh, so, but and then you said skeletal uh, alignment. Is that what you said? Yeah, skeletal alignment. So. Uh, I'm a classic example of that in that I've got a right arm that was uh, broken in a motorbike accident. Right. So the orthopedic surgeon took a piece of the bone that was floating in the joint out. And when he put my elbow back together again, he didn't line it up properly. Okay. So my left arm and my right arm are not skeletally the same. Right. Now, that it's quite a big difference because I've broken it. But everybody's left and right arm is different. Yeah. Nobody's got exactly the same alignment. Mm. So you, we will have a slightly different punch on your left to your right, even if you're just doing staff chokazuki. If you add in your stance and the difference between people's uh, hip positions and leg lengths, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you'll find that there is a position which is skeletally aligned correctly. So the forces are being transferred through the whole body and not uh, stopping, as it were, a joint centre. Okay. So you'll know this if you hit a heavy bag. Yeah. Hit a heavy bag. If your wrist is aligned, you won't feel the impact on your wrist. Uh-huh. You change your position of your hand slightly as you hit the heavy bag, you will notice a pain transfer in the wrist area. Yeah. That's because the skeletal alignment wasn't quite right. And the forces, instead uh, of traveling back through the arm, are actually talking that joint. And so... Like, because Okinawan Karate talk a lot about that, about those connection points. So wrist, shoulder, kind of your hip, your 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 back foot, where all those kind of connection points have to be aligned in order to transfer power efficiently. That that's basically what you yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, but that, that alignment can be a skeletal alignment and a muscular alignment, uh-huh. and you can you can actually pull your skeletal alignment out mm. by tensing the muscles. Okay. So you can you can be put in the correct position yeah. and have the correct stance and position and be told to move your hips oh. but if you start tensing your body and you're tensing the muscles on one side you will actually change that alignment slightly so, and when we're talking very small yeah. percentages yeah. that are probably not perceptible oh. to the human eye but they were very perceptible when you get the biofeedback of hitting something mm. so like i mean always the answer 
to that, and like Steve Rubel since he talks about that as well, is about kind of always hit something, hit something every day, and you'll constantly get. Yeah. A, I mean, you, you never get these kind of full contact guys looking tense in their training, right? They're always super relaxed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew up in uh, training in the eighties. We hit heavy bags all the time. Mm. Uh, I was only a, a kid, so I was allowed to hit people all the time. Yeah. Uh, Macarao training is, you know, is is fundamental, as it were. Yeah. But it's the a lot and lots of people nowadays aren't hitting things. Yeah. And therefore, they're not getting any type of biofeedback, so they can't they can't see it because it's too small, mm. and they can't feel it because they're not hitting things. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, actually, I was I was training with uh, I was teaching I was tra- teaching time training with the. Uh, Simon Bly sensei recently, and and he said something interesting. He said, you know, like karate is is Shotokan karate specifically is is the most catalogued form of all martial arts. You know, like and and you know, there's books been written about it, and and people talk in minute detail about how the uh, how you should pivot on your heel and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think the point he was making is sometimes at the detriment to actual the practical application of that of that art because. Because people are just constantly thinking, oh well, I want to, you know, twist this part and, and inflect that part and do this that and the other, rather than just hitting something and getting the feedback to teach yourself how to align correctly. Yeah, yeah, and and that comes from a very traditional way of thinking about how you train, mm. uh, and you can separate the the Japanese from the Chinese arts mm. in that way. In the, if you've ever trained in a, in a Chinese martial art, you'll find it is much less regimented, much less traditional based. Well, as we see, we think of tradition. Mm-hmm. It's very traditional yeah. in that they f- find your own way. Okay. So when I'm doing Tai Chi form, mm. the instructor comes over and I say, you know, is my elbow too high? And he'll say, how would I know? <laughs> and then he'll, then he'll push me. Yeah. He'll push my body. Yeah. And say your arm didn't collapse. It must be correct. Okay. And they do a lot of testing, a bit like the uh, the goju when they they yeah. do all the sanctuary yeah. exercises and they bash each other to death. Yeah. Uh, but it's much much uh, more complex than that. Yeah. Uh, they do an awful lot of finding out if it's right for you. Uh, Are you in the correct position? Not the picture. Not the correct picture that we show you a diagram of. Yeah. Whereas a lot of Japanese, as you said, it's very documented. Yeah. There's loads of books. You'll pick up the the best karate books, you'll pick up the dynamic karate, you'll pick up and you'll see a picture and people will say, that's what I want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. biology would suggest that that that, route, that method will only be correct in one in a million people. Yeah. Because you'll have to be the same as the person in the picture for it to work. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I was, I was in Norway last weekend and I was talking to a, a chap who does studio karate and also uh, tai chi. And he was saying that when he first, he, one of his instructors from tai chi would uh, would teach just by sitting down and saying yes or no, and so he'd say, "Oh, you know, swing your arm, no, no, yeah. no," and he go and he's swinging it and swing, no, oh yes, yeah, there, do it again, uh, no, yeah. no, oh yeah, that one, that one, no, and like and, and like often I, you know, we often think think about kind of Chinese styles as very traditional, as if they follow an archetype. Like there was some sort of archetype yeah. back in the past, which like what you just said is not true at all, right? Where, I mean, I, I've, I've actually spoken about, it's talked about how kind of karate, Shotokan karate, is, you can't have a traditional martial art. It's either an art, which is constantly evolving, or a tradition where you follow an archetype of generations ago. The, like almost tradition and art are oxymoronic. But, but actually the, the traditional martial arts of China, if you're, they're taught that way, the tradition is 
self self evaluation or not self evaluation but self fulfillment where you you're finding your own way whereas the japanese martial arts that kind of sense of of shuhari and and finding your own way has somehow in many cases been lost where you have these archetypes of anoida sensei or kanazawa sensei or you know following some kind of uh, great sensei that you have to follow which is really not what anybody wants to do right we want to find our own way yeah i mean it's the the way i've always looked at karate so well not always uh when i first started i followed the pattern i did what yeah. my instructor did ah. uh my my instructor was uh ray cooper he was six foot two six foot three mm. his instructor was sensei frank cope who is five foot three yeah. completely different people yeah so frank cope used to come down and grade us and he'd look completely and utterly different to ray who'd been teaching us all the time yeah so very quickly i learned that it's not about following that pattern it's about getting it right uh-huh. uh but yeah there's there's i see karate very much as a a teaching tool a stepping stone to get you to a physical place where you can start to learn yourself. Yeah. So cool. you you kill yourself through your first dan, get your black belt mm. and then you start learning. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I think there's a, there's a lot of instructors who haven't gone through that learning themselves yeah. and therefore repeat the what they went through which is just the pragmatic step 1 step 2 let's yeah. go up the ladder. Mm. Yeah, actually I I I I recently wrote an article actually, but like one part of the things I said was it would that, and it was a bit, a little bit like about this. But one of the things I said was like it'd be awful to kind of, kind of pound away in the dojo, countless repetitions, only to realise that you've been following someone else's path after de- literally decades of doing someone else's karate and never really finding your own karate. And and I think uh, like uh, above all else, a lot of shots kind of especially especially with the dogmatic way that. Uh, that we organizations have become is that it's kind of almost geared up to follow the one or two people at the top and that's how they do it that's how we all have got to do it and and i think nothing is farther from the truth sometimes yeah i mean you you'll find it's it's not just karate if i look at all the martial arts mm. and you will see that uh, groups splinter yeah and new groups form and inevitably the person leading that new group will be teaching a martial art that suits them yeah that they've developed uh i mean you look at the bruce lee mm. story yeah and spent his entire time preaching that you needed to find the best of everything that fitted you yeah and if you go to america now you will find a set a martial arts setup which is based on this is how bruce lee did it yeah absolutely but, but that's not what he preached yeah. because he understood the biomechanics are different from person to person. Yeah. He understood that your uh, your muscular contraction times they are set to a level, and but your level of training before you start those martial arts will have a big impact on it. Mm. So people do have physiological limitations. People do have flexibility limitations. It's not about going into the splits and jumping on somebody's shoulders till they break. Yeah. And I think what's worse is that is that the people who do get to that point where they are the um, you know the 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 leader of the organisation, they're often the the outliers, the physical outliers, and they're doing a karate yeah. that probably ninety five percent of the students can't even possibly emulate in any way because they're stronger, fixer, fitter, more flexible, more elastic, wherever it is, and they and they end up producing or preaching a type of karate that is almost inaccessible to people. 
Yeah, the, the if you, I always say that if you look at the Olympics and you take all the athletes in the Olympics, you haven't got a single healthy athlete there because they've all pushed their bodies to the extreme level. Mm, yeah. And they, if if we look at science in general, we talk about taking a data set and taking a large group of people and getting a mean and a standard deviation, looking at the variance in the group. Yeah. And in sports science, I preach the opposite. Uh, I say, here's 100 long-distance runners. Yeah, let's throw all their data away, and let's look at the person who won. That's what. This is how they achieved their winning. Mm. These other people, they train just as hard. They put as many hours in. Mm. They do nothing else, but it hasn't been successful for them. Yeah. Uh, you look at the middle distance running. That uh, we used to have a, a Western approach and an African approach. Yeah. And the Africans won everything. Right. So we. So what we did is we just changed our approach, and now everybody runs the African way. Okay. And yet the Africans still win. <laughs> and so it's not about finding, it's not the, the one way, it's the way that works for you. Yeah. Okay, cool. okay. Uh, so, so let's move on to the next question. So, um, actually, because we mentioned, you, you talked about kind of the, the Tai Chi. So, so um, Simon Bly, actually, we also mentioned Simon, so we'll, we'll talk about Simon as well. He has said uh, that he knows that you've studied Tai Chi. And is this really the grand ultimate martial arts? Uh, and are, um, is it mechanically, physically superior to karate? And is chi just simply the perfect technique? I think. Right. Several questions there. Yeah. Uh, the first one, is it the ultimate martial art? Uh, I don't believe so. Mm. I, I don't believe there is an ultimate martial art. Uh, the way in which it's taught, I think, allows you to develop in your own way and therefore allows you to maximise your personal potential. Mm. Uh, the idea of qi, uh, we're into traditional Chinese medicine here and I'm a uh, uh, biochemist, so I, I'm conflicted. The way I see the work that I've been doing in Tai Chi is that the getting to chi fl flowing through your system requires alignment. Okay. Now, if you align your system, that means your biological process is going to work maximally. So I would see chi flowing being correct biological, physiological, biochemical, neurological uh, alignment. Uh, what you call it, you, we can argue in circles, but uh, it works very well. Okay. But I see this... Uh, in karate, I'm striving to achieve that those same alignments in my technique. Mm. So I, uh, when I taught in America, uh, I, I ran the club in Indiana University. I went back for seminars, and I teach the very traditional solid fist. This is how you punch. This is how we're rotating. Uh, I finished a, a, a day seminar, and this head instructor was talking to the student saying, see, this hitting with a, a relaxed hand doesn't work. This is the best way to do it. And I said, well, no, that, the seminar I just did was all about traditional karate doing it this way. Yeah. I said, I can hit you really hard with a very relaxed fist as well. Yeah. I just have to do it differently. Uh. So then there was a series of students that had to get knocked down in order to see that it was the same power. But the... the uh, uh, William C.C. C. Chen is the grandmaster of the, the Yang's family style that I that I work on, mm. and uh, he's hit me harder than anybody else I've ever felt. Really? 
And if you look at the list of instructors I've trained with, that, that's a very, very prestigious statement yeah, to make. Yeah. Uh, he's a tiny little uh, man, and he, he dropped me as if he was, it was the easiest thing in the world. And what do you credit that to? Just alignment. Yeah, just alignment. Relaxation, alignment. The relaxation, that's alignment. He has very little mass. Yeah. He didn't move it very quickly. Yeah. But the mass he did have and the direction he moved were, was all perfectly aligned. Yeah. Uh, and I literally thought he'd ruptured internal organs. Really? And he giggled and smiled as he helped me back up. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, one of the things that his, his stable does in, in New York, mm. uh, he's, he's famous throughout the professional boxing ranks. And that professional boxers in New York go to him to learn how to hit hard. Really? Now, he doesn't teach them the Tai Chi hand. He doesn't teach them the Tai Chi form. Yeah. He teaches them how to hit hard. Yeah. So he just he takes their boxing technique and aligns their technique so it's aligned correctly for them. Yeah. They end up hitting very hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to that kind of um, structural, like skeletal and muscular alignment that you were talking about before. And like the yeah. very much effect that, that tension. I often like say like the anticipation of like some someone will have the anticipation of hitting someone, which will cause tension, which then raises the shoulder or wherever it is. And so even the very yeah. thought of making contact kind of disability or kind of takes away their ability a little bit to make that, that impact that they want to create. So, I mean, it comes down to kind of really correct alignment and relaxation to produce the speed. And then, like you said, stabilizing the joint on impact, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in biology. Yeah. And if the biological systems are all working, yeah. then there's there's nothing unique about uh, Colin McGregor. There's nothing yeah. unique about Deontay Wilder. There's nothing. Yeah. They are they are DNA. Their chromosomes. Their proteins. Yeah. They've gone through a training regime which has maximised their genetic potential. Yeah. Essentially, they have, you know, bones, muscles, nerves, everything the same. Mm. Uh, they've learned how to use it well. And what, what do you think? Because I often, in fact, I, I was talking about this last weekend when actually when I was when I was away, someone talked about kind of Kime and we got into a whole debate about what is Kime and, and what I was saying was was really, obviously obviously the term Kime comes from Japanese, Kimeru to be decisive, the decisive part of the technique or to de, just the verb to decide. So it's the decisive part of the technique. But really the sense that like Kime is really kind of a reaction to making the contact rather than a desire to hit someone. So like I, I, I kind of was talking about how like you get that tactile uh, kind of response of, of actually making contact with someone, which then forces you to kind of create, hopefully you got the alignment, but create the, the muscular support for that alignment to be able to transfer your mass effectively. Would you, would you agree with that or am I talking rubbish? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's, a, it's a Japanese word, it's a Japanese concept, mm. and it, it gets taught lots of different ways. Uh, back in the 80s, I, I was taught it was tension. Yeah. But it was tension only at the end of the technique. Uh. Whereas you see in other places, there's, there's an awful lot. It, it, if you don't have tension at all times, then you have no kimmy. Mm. Uh, if you wish to move quick, you must be relaxed. There can be no tension. Yeah. If, if your technique reaches its completion, the end of the technique, then it has to, it, it's no longer the technique. Yeah. Therefore, if you wish your technique to work, it needs to uh, physically needs to stop at the end of the technique. 
and therefore your Kimmy is the completion of that technique. Mm. Now, it's, it's bouncing a ball. If you bounce a ball, it, it goes down to the floor, it bounces back up again. It must stop before it comes back up. Yeah. But it's a point of defamation when the, all the energy rebounds and comes back up again. Well, we don't want that defamation and that rebound energy. We want that transfer of energy into the, the whatever you're hitting. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there is a, a Kimmy, a focus, a tension, an ending of the technique which is that end point where you need to stabilize and ensure that the force is where you want it to be and not going back up your arm. Mm. Okay. Okay, cool. So, so Tai Chi is not the ultimate martial art, but is the maybe a really good way to fulfill your own potential. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I mean, I, it, it comes down basically, I, I have a firm belief that there is no great martial art, there are only great martial artists and great martial arts instructors. Yeah. I, I took Tai Chi up because I found a very, very good instructor. Yeah. Not because I wanted to do Tai Chi, yeah. and, the only, and the Tai Chi I do enhances my karate immeasurably. Hmm. I'm not a Tai Chi instructor or Tai Chi practitioner, yeah. I just used it to help me get better at doing my karate. But I did that because I found a good instructor. Yeah, I'm very much like Rick Hotton, who found, you know, Satomi Sensei. I mean, like I, I don't think he he would consider himself an Aikido uh, ka, but certainly he's taken the principles that that great martial artist teaches and applied them to karate to to fantastic results. Yeah. 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 Totally. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Shall we move on? Indeed. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. Um, so. Where are you? There you are. Um, how should older karate adapt adapt their training methods um, as the joints biomechanically change? Now that actually was asked from uh, from Barry, who is um, a consultant uh, orthopedic surgeon at the Sanctuary Sports Clinic, which is one of the best uh, kind of sporting hospitals uh, and kind of uh, you know uh, kind of just sorts out all the like for example the the irish rugby team and all that kind of stuff so he he uh he's probably and he's also a shodan at karate with with in my dojo so so there we go what do you think well number one how is he doing fixing uh pet balls off the uh humerus the the idea of aging uh needs really to be conceptualized so for for a human uh, body, you are either growing or you're aging. Mm. So, as you go through your child development, you are, you are growing. You get you hit puberty. You grow differently. You reach maturity and you stop growing. Now, your musculature can still develop, but you're not essentially growing. Yeah. And from that point onwards, you're aging. You're downhill. Yeah. Biological systems are getting worse than they were before, yeah. but the change is very, very small, mm. imperceptible. So when we're 20 to 30 years of age, we feel we're indestructible because we feel at the top of our physiological game. Yeah. But we've already aged 10 years. Our systems are going down. Yeah. So when people talk about changing their training because they're getting older, I'd say it's too late. Their body is already aged yeah. and they've been doing a certain type of training and therefore, they, they 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 need big changes, but big changes are very difficult in the training. Mm. So I think the important thing is is to adapt your training on a daily basis. 
And if your physiological systems are working well, then you train hard. And if your physiology systems aren't working well, then you don't. Yeah. So if you're a 50-year-old martial artist going in the gym, there may be days that you physically cannot do the same amount of volume intensity of work that you that you the rest of the class are doing mm. and that you're trying to do. And I think the older you get, the more you need to realize that. Yeah. Uh, you also need more recovery time as you get older. So being able to do five day a week training sessions is, isn't going to work as you get older because your body will not recover in time. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't do very intense sessions and you can't do them very well. It just means that you have to do that intensity less often. Yeah. Yes. So again, it comes back to, to being an individual and knowing and understanding your body mm. and working with that. Because there are, there's, there's so many different examples of very elderly martial artists who are phenomenally technically sound and phenomenally physiologically sound. Yeah. But they've, they've, they didn't make any big changes as they got older. They just adapted and changed as they went. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's something that I have really become aware of recently you know like well not recently but like you know I'm, I'm 47 in a couple of months but um you know I uh, I kind of uh, as I as I go through my 40s kind of realize that I'm not 35 anymore which is what I obviously feel um but like I often think about it in in this way that like there's no real cell in your body that is more than seven years old right I mean like there's no bit of your body that is because the cells you know kind of replicate themselves every seven years so in in a sort of like chronological age like you your cells are kind of being replaced with what they were so it's not how old you are it's how old you've allowed yourself to become so like if you break your arm and there's there's a you know a, a kind of a, a there was a break there and you can you, you know it'll it'll the cells will be regenerated as if it was been it been broken and repaired itself so you're kind of regenerating yourself as you've become rather than just a general inevitable aging process so i i just kind of think if i maintain my flexibility i will be flexible until i die if i maintain my fitness i will be fitness fit until i die it's just i think these people who have allowed themselves over that aging process to become inflexible and unfit then that's what they are. So to, to get back to being flexible and fit must be a really big uphill uh, task. So I'm just kind of trying to maintain fitness and and fl flexibility and all those things as I slowly, inevitably get old. But at the same time, at the same time, I am super aware of, of how much load my body can take. Because 20 years ago, I could intensively train you know, day in, day out, and my body could take it. Whereas nowadays, I, I find myself having to stop from pushing myself to, to take that load, although I can take it, but the recovery time afterwards is far greater. So that's basically what you're saying, yeah? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, from, from a scientific perspective, you putting numbers on how long your, your body regenerates is, is always tricky. I, I tell my students that it's about 20 years start to finish before you have completely changed the carbon load in the yeah. body, uh -huh. yet you are essentially going through a regenerative process. Yeah. Uh, but the aging process uh, cannot be overcome, mm. but it can be slowed down. Yeah. And this, uh, if you take a look at smoking and destruction of the lungs with smoking, mm. the lungs age. You don't notice it at 30, but they are smaller than they when they were at 20. Mm. 
you you just have an inevitability. Yeah. If you smoke, you'll you'll notice it your lung capacity changing earlier. Mm. Yeah. Uh, if you then stop smoking, that that speed of decline is arrested, but you go back to the normal speed of decline, which is the aging process. Yeah. So the more you can do to slow that process, the better. Mm. But you'll never stop it. So when you're when you hit fifty, you will know that your body is not capable. But it's been it's not capable of what it was able to do yesterday or last week or last month or last year or last 10 years or last 50 years. But we just only notice it when we have large events, like turning 37. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we've answered his question. So I'm gonna, I've answered uh, Ross's question, Simon's question, uh, Brian's question. I, I have a question that I said, you know... Uh, that I sent you, so I want to ask a couple of them, and then you can decide. Maybe as our last question seems, we've been going for like uh, forty-five minutes or so. I'll, you can decide which one of these you want to answer. Is that okay? Yeah. Good. Okay. So, um, so what are the misconceptions with martial artists when it comes to training their body? Uh, do you want to answer that one? That was easy, right? For you, yeah, that's that's, that's fairly easy. Okay, go ahead. Uh, then I'll ask you a hard one. Cool. The, the first point is that everybody thinks their body's the same. Hmm. Uh, everybody thinks that they will uh, they will adapt to training the same way as everybody else adapts to training. Everybody believes that their body is capable of what it was ten years ago. So they they don't have an understanding of individuality. Hmm. They will always strive to achieve what the instructor is doing not what the instructor is telling them to do. Yeah. Uh, if they see somebody on television taking an energy drink, then they'll take the energy drink because somebody else has done it as opposed to understanding their nutritional needs. Mm. Uh, if you go back to Robbie Fowler and Liverpool Football Club and a white strip across your nose and Paula Radcliffe wearing a white strip across the nose, fundamentally scientific principles say there is absolutely no benefit whatsoever because you don't breathe through your nose when you do exercise. Yeah. Uh, but thousands upon thousands of people spent millions of pounds buying things. So there's, there's an understanding and a conceptual, what am I, what am I doing, mm. as opposed to what's everybody else doing. Yeah. I think the biggest misunderstanding is not, not understanding they are an individual and what their body needs and requires. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like... That. It kind of feeds into that, you know, that, um, was it Gladwell did that, the 10,000 hour? Was that you? Yeah, sorry, that was, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that, the, uh, the, the 10,000 hour rule where, you know, you've got to put your 10,000 hours in uh, to, to become an expert, which is, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which has been debunked and, and like it's like the evidence that it was based on that, that was definitely an average hour of of a very specific set of musicians in the West Berlin Academy of Music or whatever it was. But like people just want that generic idea, don't they? That generic answer: do this and get this. That's yeah, it. The, and it's it's throughout all aspects. Uh, the the other the other ten thousand number was the number of steps you're supposed to take a day. Yeah. yeah. Now, none of these numbers can be true. Yeah. Because the number of steps you take and need and the number of steps I take and need are different. Yeah. And there is, so, I mean, the, the 10,000 steps was actually a Japanese number. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because a Japanese breakfast cereal company gave away free pedometers uh-huh. as a gimmick, and they wanted to give people a number to attain, and 10,000 was a big number. Well, and because the decision had been made... That's the Because the decision had been made, it was never challenged. So it yeah. got out into the public, and then it was transferred internationally, and then it becomes law. Every, everybody in the world knows that you need to take 10,000 steps a day. And also in Japanese, the number, number system is different. So it goes like the, the counting. So, so you go kind of uh, one, ten, thousand, ten thousand. So it's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Ichi, Ju, Hyaku, uh, Sen, uh, Man. A man is translated as ten thousand. So, so it was just that next one up. Rather, yeah, it, was, we, we, we it was have the next million, logical right? step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's, like, there's, no, there's no science there. Yeah, it's like the, uh, the, the, the uh, recommendations of getting your five a day fruit and veg portions well you know in france it's seven and the reason why it's five was because the british government said oh we recommend that you have five servings of fresh fruit and veg a day is because they thought that's the most we can get away with and people would follow (laughs) like like you should be having loads of fruit and veg a day not five you know you know what i mean so cool this is the sort of the the public health population message Yeah. yeah versus an individual message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as martial artists, we're all individuals yeah. who need to take responsibility for our individual needs and requirements. And we, what we end up doing is following population messages. Yeah. Like following a, a YouTube influencer. Yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> you know, they're big because they're population-based and they're popular. Yeah. But it's nice. <laughs> we need to be focusing on ourselves and what our body needs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right, that was too easy for you to finish with. I'm going to ask you one more difficult one. Okay. Uh, okay. So, I, um, okay, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this one. So, um, recently, I, I, I've been talking about kind of uh, the the stress shortened cycle with your muscles, and also kind of these um, the the maximum the maximum strength of your of your muscle. Um, so. I was talking, it was from a conversation with uh, Steve Ubel Sensei, and he was talking about uh, how when you contract a muscle, there's kind of a bell curve of strength, and also like how the plyometrics uh, stretch, when you, plyometrically, when you, when you, when your muscle is being stretched, and then you contract it, you can create far more explosive power. Can you tell us anything about that, and can you tell us how we would use that in our karate? Well, do the sort of the plyometric, eccentric thing first. Okay. Uh, when muscles, so take your bicep and you contract your bicep and it, oh. it, it bulges, it gets shortened. So the, your, your muscle is shortening, it's a concentric contraction. Yeah. Uh, there's a, 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 a force production or a maximal strength you can get from a concentric contraction. If I then take hold of that arm and stretch it out with you resisting against it, mm-hmm. then that muscle is contracting but it's getting longer, that's an eccentric contraction. Okay. You can produce higher forces or bigger strengths in an eccentric contraction. What? So, so if I'm if I'm just if I'm trying to get into camp, so if I'm just bending my arm like this, yeah. the amount of power I can create from this contraction compared to doing this, is that what you're saying? No, no. So doing, doing uh, that. Uh, yes. Okay. So, so if, if your arm is lengthening, yeah. So it's like picking up a weight. If you try and pick up a dumbbell, yeah, and bite that, curl it. There's a limit to how much you can pick up. Yeah. But if you get given a bigger weight, 
you can lower it down slowly. Uh-huh. You're creating more force in the lowering and the stretching of the muscle, okay. or the length of the muscle, okay. than you can. So if you take that concept and you put it into a dynamic movement, uh-huh. then you can generate bigger forces in the muscle when there's an eccentric movement. Okay. So athletes for many, many years have used plyometric training mm. to generate high forces in the muscles mm. in order to get the muscle stronger. Okay. But they've done box jumping and hurdle bouncing and uh-huh. two-footed single leg hops, etc. So there's all these activities that we do, which are which include plyometrics and eccentric contractions, which we use as a training principle for getting the muscle stronger. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is that those higher forces mean you're much more likely to damage the muscle. Okay. So if a beginner who hasn't done much training yeah. tries eccentric contractions, they're much more likely to injure themselves. Yeah. So plyometrics and eccentric work is always introduced in an athlete's uh, training program only once they've gained a level of strength and training experience, etc. Okay. But it is it is used widely as a a, a method to increase your your strength, maximal strength, or your explosive power, or whatever else you want to call it. So, so it's it's used as a training mechanism to train your body to get it stronger. Can it be used? in a technique to produce stronger amount of power or is it only uh, used to train your body and then you go back to regular kind of use of muscle because because if i'm if i'm training my body if i'm training my bicep by by doing that but ultimately that's what i want to do mm-hmm. then then i can't you will use... be your concentric contraction will get better so you will ultimately get stronger in that muscle. Okay. So there is a transfer effect from the contraction in the eccentric to the concentric mode. Uh-huh. So you'll get better concentric contractions, but your your musculature in general will get better. You'll get a better uh, all that the the tendons will be put under a bigger load uh-huh. as will fascia, etc. Your your neuromuscular system will be more highly activated, and you'll also get slightly bigger gains. Okay. But it's not a direct transfer. You're not going to suddenly become hugely strength yeah. from your in your concentric bicep movement yeah. by doing eccentric contractions. Okay. Cool. So, what about um, stretch short cycle? Uh, well, it's, I say you, you said stretch short and cycle, but you also mentioned the uh, force tension relationship. Yeah. So length. So there is. If you, if we take the forced length relationship there, and we go, go back to the bi- the analogy of the bicep and the dumbbell, yeah. if you put a large dumbbell in your hand and your arm is straight, you can't start the movement. Yeah. But if somebody lets you start the movement as your your bicep gets shorter, you can actually produce more strength mm. or you're, you're happy, more force, yeah. and therefore you can, you can then lift the bicep the rest of the way. Mm. But you can't start it because you're weaker at one end mm. or either end, and you're stronger in the middle mm. of the length of that muscle. So being at the extreme ranges of a muscular length, yeah. you're at the weakest portions of the muscle, and you'll be strongest in the middle portion. Now, if you look at how this translates to karate or punching, you'll find that boxers can put people down with body shots. Mm. But those body shots are inevitably delivered with a very bent arm. Yeah. Uh, they're very close shots. They're, they're, if you're doing a, a very long straight arm jab, at the end of that movement, you've got much less power on the end. Mm. To create large 
impacts at long distance, they tend to swing lots of lots of distance. Yeah. So they've got more a long way around. So you end up the short techniques in, in a close in position can be de developed very very strongly because you're working in different areas of the muscle. Because mm. it, it was something that um, was highlighted to us in the spring when we were with um, with Steve Ubel Sensei, and he he referred to it as the impact phase of the technique, and he was talking about how he he broke up every muscle contraction into uh, three thirds, first third and last third being well. I think third is a bit too too extreme, but like you're saying, saying you want to kind of really aim for for that middle third of your contraction of your muscle to be the impact point of the technique, because for sure, like you, we kind of use the analogy or the, the example of a, of a just a straight chokazuki, like yeah. when your when your fist leaves your your hip, that and and you get your elbow to your your hip point, that first third not so strong, but then that middle third as you can trans you know, um, transition through the punch is very strong and then that last third is dramatically reducing in power as your arm straightens and he was saying that you know every every technique should have that impact phase in mind where you're hitting at that middle third rather than the last third but predominantly when we practice kihon kata we always allow our body to go to the to the full extension or hand or foot to go to the full extension which is arguably the weakest or partly the weakest part of the technique transition that's what I mean. Yeah, and there's, there's 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 lots of different concepts in in what Steve's saying there. Yeah. Uh, in the translating a muscular contraction to a whole body movement is almost impossible because yeah. you have so many muscles involved in a single movement. Yeah. But what he, what he's saying is that the functional output mm. as a composition of all those muscular contractions mm. is quite correct. Yeah. And anybody hitting a macro board or hitting a heavy bag or hitting an opponent will know that your your hardest impact will be that tatazuki yeah that before you've elongated the elbow before you've reached and that the 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 full technique that we do and this comes back to how i look at karate as a training method mm. is that we're actually doing thousands thousands of bunches training and we're training across a range mm. but if we ever used it we'd want to use the best one yeah. which is the bit in the middle yeah so if I am actually going to hit somebody, I'm not going to prepare Chakazuki and hit them at the very last bit in the correct distance. Yeah. And I want to hit them in a Tatazuki as everything's coming together well. Mm. But if you train for completeness, then you will be able to carry out that middle portion. Yeah. If you don't train to completeness and you only train the first portion, the second portion, you will, won't maximize that training effect. Yeah. Absolutely. So we we always do overload training in, in all sorts of sports. We always uh, make sure that we, you know, if you're a 100 meter sprinter, they'll do lots of short sprints that are not 100, mm. and lots of longer sprints that are over 100. Yeah. But their actual gain in the performance is at that 100 meter mark. Yeah. I, I, and what I, we do is train a lot. Yeah. Others perform a little. Yeah. Like it's, I always use that the example of the sprinter, you know, who trains with the parachute on the back. And thinking, yeah. well, that's ridiculous. Why would? How can you possibly run fast with a parachute on your back? You know exactly. That's the point. And it's and it's yeah. no different from having a long stance or a big preparation of blocks or a you know a, a very long uh, technique for punching and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of stretching our body so then when it does uh, need to be used, it can be used in this kind of uh, devastating way. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's, it's a fundamental principle of training. It's the overload principle in that it, you have to overload the muscle in order for the muscle to respond mm. and therefore get an adaptation. Yeah. If you don't overload, it, it, you'll never respond. And if you don't respond, you can't therefore learn to adapt. Yeah. So you have to be pushed in order to get an adaptation, which you will then use, not in the same scenario that you've overloaded. Excellent. That was an excellent answer because I'm I I I'm forever like I was in Romania kind of uh, last month and and I was talking to the class and I, and I said you know where where do you think the strongest part of the punch is and you know there was I don't know thirty thirty odd black belts in the class and every single one of them said well right at the end that's the strongest point of the punch and I was like have you never thought about this or more importantly have you never punched anything. You know, and they're all very senior. Uh, but, but yeah. But I think that that, that that point is exactly it. That they probably thought about it an awful lot. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. They, but, it, but their thinking has been based around the fact that they've spent 10,000 punches in midair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they haven't actually hit. Yeah. I mean, literally, I, I was in, uh, uh, in Kyu University in Japan mm. with the old boys. Mm. And one, one of them said to me, you trained old, and I'm assuming he didn't mean I was old. It was I'd, I'd done an old style of I hit things. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he was explaining to a youngster about hitting the macabre, and so I hit it a couple of times, and he said, "Yes, like that." Yeah. And then the youngster hit it, and he's like, "No, no, not like that." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was, well, I'm, I'm hitting it the same as he's hitting it. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually grew up hitting things, mm. where it's this, you know, you know, this guy spent ten years, fifteen years training. Mm. And then started hitting things, yeah. and you develop differently. Yeah. So they, they probably have thought about it an awful lot, yeah. but they don't have that biofeedback, that environmental learning mm. that some of us got by accident, yeah. or well, not accident by having a great instructor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the only present that my instructor ever gave me was on my 16th birthday, and he gave me a makiwara. It's like, that's for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a big difference. The best press we could have given you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, you answered. You answered the the, the hard question right at the end. So I, I think we will call it a day there and say thank you very much. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this. So I think we should do it more often, don't you? I'm I'm more than happy to answer questions and chat. I, I enjoyed it myself. Cool. So what we'll do is we will post this to the the wide unsuspecting masses and invite them to uh, ask further questions. And when we get enough questions, we'll do another one. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Right, well, I'm going to stop this and say thank you. Ooh. Thank you. Oh, so, so, so.